Welcome, everybody, to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker. We have a fantastic class coming up for you tonight, our interactive class here in the Connected Universe portal. We're going to be talking about the mystery of consciousness. Uh, it's been a little while since we've talked specifically on consciousness. A little bit over a year ago when, uh, when this particular class was the Beyond the Shadows show. And we're going to be touching on a couple of different topics. I mean, when you when you talk consciousness, you kind of always come back to some uh, similar discussions anyway. But uh, we're going to throw some, uh, I guess, newer information at you. And really, this was inspired by uh, the presentation I gave with Andrea Perrin at Parasycon, uh, the Parasycon event at Ohio State Reformatory uh, about a week and a half ago. So. Last week when we came back after our small hiatus, I want to talk the UAP discussion because that happened, those hearings happened while uh, I was traveling. So I want to make sure we got that out of the way. And then now we're going to come to consciousness again, inspired by uh, that discussion that Andrea and I had, which always came back. We were talking about the interdimensional universe. But the discussion always came back to consciousness, our existence, our reality. You know, we got into time slips and different things like that. So if you have not yet, please go ahead and you can uh, watch that uh, one-hour presentation. I guess, well, maybe it was probably closer to 45 minutes on the Haunted Road Media YouTube channel. It was the most recent video uploaded there, but uh, Interdimensional Universe with Mike Ricksecker and Andrea Perrin. You can check that out there. Uh, also, for those listening to the podcast version of this class later uh, on a number of different streaming platforms like Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, KUNX Radio, KPNL, uh, KGRA, all those wonderful locations, you can come and uh, join us every Wednesday night. Get the full live presentation, ask your questions, be able to watch the videos with us, watch the full slide presentation, everything, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Get the full Connected Universe experience on ConnectedUniversePortal.com. It's a 30-day free trial. It gives you complete access to, uh, of course, the weekly Connecting Universe interactive class, sneak peek and behind-the-scenes videos, the monthly Q&A videos, exclusive articles, insider travel blogs, including Ancient Egypt, the American Southwest, and the upcoming Ireland tour. That's going to be amazing. Get all this and more ConnectedUniversePortal.com. And speaking of monthly Q&A, um, a little bit late because of the holiday and just it, it, May was a pretty crazy month, guys. Uh, you you all, you all know that pretty well. Uh, need some questions for the monthly Q&A video, which will go out by the end of this week. And uh, I, I saw one question down there already. And if we get a couple more in, I mean, it's for, it's for you guys, whatever questions that that you guys want. So um, go ahead and respond to uh, that post. I'll put it in a couple different places, but go ahead and respond and we'll get those uh, answered for you. So the class question for this evening, bring this up here. That was, what do you think consciousness is and where do you think it resides? So that's... Kind of what we got into the last time we discussed cons consciousness is where it resides. We're going to look at a couple more aspects of that this time around as well. Uh, Sarah Yusuf had uh, some comments about this. Uh, Sarah says, I think consciousness exists within the energy fields we generate. If these fields are able to sustain themselves by connecting to an outside system or source, it could possibly explain spirit phenomena like ghosts, egregore, etc., Consciousness could also be considered as a form of connection that a soul uses, like a type of sensory input. It has the ability to affect the environment in a spatial and non-spatial sense. The ability uh, to reside in both suggests that it is interdimensional. And so we will uh, cover some of those different aspects here uh, this evening and exactly, and that's not popping off. There we go. <laughs> and what exactly science is saying about this, though, that was an, it's been an interesting thing that um, that I've seen here lately in a number of uh, uh, articles that have popped up here, uh, some different research studies where science is finally jumping on board to, oh, yeah, th this consciousness thing, um, yeah, it, it really exists. We're going to take a look at that and how, hey, the ancients have been talking about this for years and kind of the different ways that uh, they are starting to look at at consciousness. Okay, so let's start off here with uh, with this particular article here. 
Researchers suggest the human soul doesn't die. It returns to the universe. So this, uh, it what's interesting is it popped up in my feed um, probably, um, I don't know, about two months ago or something like that. It's actually a couple years old, but I, I think it was one of those that started making the rounds again. Uh, what's what's interesting about this uh, is it talks about the discovery of quantum vibrations in microtubules inside brain neurons that supports this controversial theory of, of consciousness. So according to, and this is actually uh, a review and an update of uh, research that was done like 20 years ago. So uh this was uh, research that had been postulated a while back. They've updated that because over 20 years' time, they've done additional research in this area. So according to these two leading scientists, Stuart Hameroff and Sir Roger Penrose, the brain is a biological computer, and the human consciousness is just a software program activated by the bioquantum computer inside the brain. Furthermore, it continues to exist even after death. These researchers, these researchers say that after people die, the soul returns to the cosmos. It does not die. And I find that statement just fascinating. We're going to get into this with some of the different ancient cultures. So they're, they're saying science is finally saying that the soul doesn't die. The consciousness doesn't die. It returns to the cosmos. So this is something... The ancient has been talking about forever. Uh, when we look at ancient Egypt a little bit here, we'll see how, yeah, it returns to the cosmos. So they specifically say constellation of Orion. And science is just now jumping on board with this. This is something Andrea and I were, were laughing about a week and a half ago at that conference is that, hey, come on, guys, you know, get up to speed here. We get they want to try to, you know, prove it either in a laboratory or use some math to figure it out or whatever. But in one sense, on one hand, it's like, this is kind of common knowledge, or at least maybe cultural knowledge that's been passed down for thousands and thousands of years. So let's continue on with this a little bit. So like I said, this is a review and update of a 20-year-old theory that was published in Physics of Life Review. Uh, it claims that consciousness derives from deeper level, finer scale activities inside the brain neurons. The recent discovery of quantum vibrations in the microtubules inside the brain corroborates this theory. So uh, this has a real deep dive uh, as in this uh, particular article here, discovery of quantum vibrations in microtubules inside brain neurons supports controversial theory of consciousness. That's the title uh, of the document. Uh, it's posted on Science News. The source is Elsevier. So this is a peer-reviewed uh, uh, journal. And I'm not going to get into all the specifics of, uh, of neurons. I'll go ahead and post some links to that later on uh, within the group. You guys can go ahead and, and peruse that at your leisure. Uh, but uh, some very, very interesting uh, work here that they have done to try to say that the consciousness, while it's it's basically it's firing off inside uh, inside our brains, but when it's done, when our body dies, it goes off elsewhere. So it adheres to the idea that um, that our mind is a receptor for the consciousness, and it doesn't actually natively live there. So. Uh, neuroscientist Giulio Tanani uh, has pointed out brain cells fire away almost as much in some states of unconsciousness, such as uh, deep sleep state, as they do in the wakeful conscious state. In some parts of the brain, you can identify neurons associated with conscious experience, while other neurons don't seem to have any effect on it. So there are also cases of very low-level brain activities, such as some uh, near-death experiences, when consciousness may not only continue, but even become more intense. And that's interesting because near-death experiencers have these um, intense visions that they see, and they come back with these amazing stories that, you know, they, they met loved ones, they 
had gone over to the other side for a uh, certain period of time. And, uh, you know, maybe they saw a tunnel of light or, you know, a variety of different things. Uh, you know, some of the experiences are, are quite similar, but it seems like every person's uh, telling of the near-death experience tale uh, differs a, a little bit to a, a different degree. So that makes me start to wonder with a near-death experience if uh, consciousness becomes even more intense. Is that because we are... Uh, in that near-death moment that we are directly plugged into the source. And yeah, you could say this kind of a matrix reference. We'll talk a little bit about simulated universe here in a little while. Uh, but it, it makes it does make you wonder why it would be more intense in that moment when, by all accounts, your your body and your brain is dying. So as a result, many uh, philosophers such as David Chalmers and Thomas Nagel uh, and scientists like Christoph and uh, Tanani, who we already mentioned, have rejected the idea that consciousness is directly produced by brain processes. They have turned to the alternative view that it is actually a fundamental quality of the universe. That's kind of interesting too. So we have these uh, some of these scientific studies talking about uh, consciousness returning to the cosmos and these guys here other scientists other researchers talking about the consciousness being a fundamental quality of the universe so the consciousness being a part of it let's see you guys having uh, some comments down here um let's see what we have we have uh Jennifer LeBay, uh, she says, I practice transcendental meditation. And in that practice, there's a lot of discussions about, about consciousness, collective consciousness and such. I think it is kind of like the force. That's, <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's funny. It's, it's the force. Yes. Um, Sarah Yusuf saying, uh, NDE often change the quantities of neurochemicals in the brain process of dying often has its own priorities and protocols. Um, that may be true. You know, they do say that there are some, you know, different chemicals that are firing off. Um, but the consciousness aspect of it is not necessarily chemically related. So, um, no, they're talking about the actual neurons and not the chemical aspect. So a little bit different, uh, but it's always a, uh, you know, quite interesting because scientists will try to say, you know, it was some sort of hallucination that you had where, you know, these experiences that people have are extremely, extremely realistic. And, um, you know, some of these people actually die on the table when in the brain's supposed to be dead, yet they're still having the experiences. So, um, Tom McNicholas, wonder if we can edit our soul before it passes back to the universe. Um, you know, I think we get choices before we come back. I think we get choices uh, of, you know, maybe a type of person that we want to be, um, I know people say you can, you know, choose your parents or whatever. Maybe um, if there's a different experience that that you want to have uh, with with uh, Jennifer, uh, the transcendental meditation. I was actually just talking about that. Um, oh, without giving too many uh, spoilers and Stranger Things, uh, I just say the song "Dream a Little Dream" is used. And I don't know how many people remember. I know it was like a, a, a teen movie back in the late 80s, Dream a Little Dream. Um, the Michael Damien song, Rock On, was from that. Not to get too teeny bopperish from that point in time, but um, but the whole premise of that actually had to do with transcendental meditation and consciousness, and you had the the swapping of consciousness from one person to another. So that's kind of interesting there, Jim. So, all right, let's move on. Uh, great quote here from uh, Nassim Harriman. Uh, looking for consciousness in the brain is like looking in the radio for the announcer. And uh, I, I've uh, heard him mention that quote uh, or, or say that line a, a number of times when I've watched his different presentations. And uh, so the idea that, you know, our body is the receiver of the consciousness. And so trying to look in here for it 
is not going to work. Like taking a radio, looking for the announcer when the announcer is actually uh, elsewhere. So let's look a little bit at, because uh, we've mentioned, okay, kind of made fun here of, of scientists talking about, uh, hey, you know, consciousness is, uh, you know, it goes back to the cosmos and you know, something the ancients have been talking about for a while. So let's take a look at what the some of the ancients have said here. Uh, of course, ancient Egypt, we've talked uh, a little bit about, about this before in other respects, in other um, other classes. The uh, This is the shadow, the tomb of Arinifer, not talking shadow people today, uh, but they have, in this depiction, they have the bobbers, which are uh, flying off to the constellation of Orion. So the ancient Egyptians believed in several different parts of the soul. Five of those move on to the constellation of Orion after death. The Ka and the Kabit remain here on Earth. The Ka being the animating part of the soul and the Kabit, the shadow. So right here in their own culture, they have this belief system centered around the, uh, you know, the soul moving on into the cosmos. Now, the, uh, uh, the Sirius star is something that they were, uh, they were very revenant of. Of course, the constellation of Orion uh, the the pyramids uh, Robert Bavall's research uh, talking about the pyramids being aligned to the constellation of Orion. Uh, so all of these different things preparing the soul for the afterlife and the journey uh, into the cosmos. And a lot of ancient cultures have uh, those same things, like the uh, the Dogon tribes also there in in Africa where they knew about uh, which which is interesting because they actually knew about uh, the third. Uh, serious star uh, that is that was behind that they didn't even uh, discover until I think it was the mid 90s. But somehow the Dogon already knew the star was there. It was part of their culture that uh, that they that they revered that they referenced all the time. But again, you know their journey. Uh, also an interesting one. I know we dive a lot into like Egypt or maybe ancient Sumer and things like that, we're actually going to go a little bit of a different route, uh, something we don't talk about a lot. I've mentioned him uh, when we've talked Atlantis, and that's Plato. So Plato has a uh, text called the Phaedo, or the translation of that is called On the Soul. And in this document, and this is a uh, Renaissance uh, copy of that, so this was actually copied from an older text into this book during the Renaissance era. So that's why it looks all fancy and beautiful there. Uh, but this document on the soul uh, submits four arguments for the soul's immortality or our consciousness. So what exactly does Plato say about this? So let me go ahead and bring this up. So you can actually, uh, it, I mean, it's a public domain document, so you can uh, easily find all of this information. So he has the cyclical argument. And what this argument is, is uh, the first part of it, all things come to be from their opposite states. For example, something that comes to be larger must necessarily have been smaller beforehand. Second part of this is between every pair of opposite states, there are two opposite processes. For example, between the pair smaller and larger, there are the process increase and decrease. So in order to make something larger, you have to increase it. You need to make something smaller, you decrease it. Uh, third piece of this, if, two, if the two opposite processes did not balance each other out, everything would eventually be in the same state. For example, if the increase did not balance out the decrease, everything would keep becoming smaller and smaller. So you need them to balance out so that it's not continuing to increase or continuing to decrease. And the last part of this, since being alive and dead are opposite states and dying and coming to life are the two opposite processes between those states, coming to life must balance out dying. Therefore, everything that dies must come back to life again. So kind of going circle of life there, but um, really he's 
in this particular one, this is one of the four uh, arguments he poses. Uh, he's really talking about reincarnation here. So uh, the the soul coming back to life again at some at some point. If it dies, it must come back to life again. This this cyclical pattern. So um, Anne has a comment here. She says, "I've heard of the wrong soul being in the body before in regards to soul retrieval in Native American practices. Just not sure about consciousness." Um, Native American, Native Americans, then every tribe is a little bit different, uh, but a lot of Native American tribes had similar concepts to the ancient Egyptians, where they believed in different parts of the soul. Some going off to, um, uh, like the Choctaw, uh, they believed in two different parts of the soul. Uh, upon death, one part of the soul would go on to the land of the ghosts. The other part of the soul, the shadow, would stay around here on Earth to roam. But as you get into uh, different uh, Native American tribes, you'll find some differing concepts to that, but many of them talk about different parts of the soul, different parts of the consciousness. So let's go into Plato a little bit more here. We're getting all kinds of philosophical here, <laughs> but it's interesting uh, because we'll see this come back around in some of our different scientific concepts here that they're starting to, uh, to postulate, which again, I find kind of humorous. So he has uh, the argument from recollection. So the first part of this, things in the world which appear to be equal in measurement are in fact deficient in the equality they possess. Second part, therefore they are not the same as true equalities, that is the equal itself. Three, when we see this deficiency of the examples of equality, it helps us to think or recollect the equal itself. In order to do this, we must have had some prior knowledge of the equal itself. Uh, again, I'm going to post links to this because I know some of this terminology and the way it's stated seems a little it, interesting. I, I understand that. Uh, so five, since this knowledge does not come from sense perception, we must have acquired it before we acquired sense perception. That is, before we were born. And finally, therefore, our souls must have existed before we were born. So basically, the idea that um, there is knowledge that we possess, that we must have had before we were born, and we're bringing it here into the world. Therefore, we existed before we were born. Uh, so the idea that we come from somewhere. And that adheres, we're going to talk uh, simulated universe in a little bit here, that here's the idea of we are in some sort of, of simulation. Uh, again, I don't believe it to be a computer simulation, um, something maybe more organic or biological, but we come from somewhere and we go back to somewhere. All right, a little bit more Plato. I don't throw a lot of Plato at you today. Uh, the affinity argument. So one, there are two kinds of existences. A, the visible world that we perceive with our senses, which is human, mortal, composite, unintelligible, and always changing. And B, the invisible world of forms that we can access solely with our minds, which is divine, deathless, intelligible, non-composite, and always the same. Two, the soul is more like the world B, whereas the body is more like the world A. So again, I'll, I'll post a link so you can reference it. So um, we had A and B in the first point, and this is saying the soul is more like the, the last point and the body is more like the first point. So three, therefore, supposing it has been freed of bodily influence through philosophical training, the soul is most likely to make its way to the world, B, when the body dies. If, however, the soul is polluted by bodily influence, it will likely stay bound to the world upon death. So what's interesting about this um, is that he, okay, we talked before about part of the soul going on to the land of the ghosts and part of the soul remaining here on earth or going off to the constellation of Orion and, and one part staying here on earth. Um, so he almost gives a idea here as to why there may be ghosts. Uh, or human spirits that are still roaming the earth. That if you haven't met certain states, if the if the consciousness of the soul hasn't met certain states, then it will stay here on earth. If it's met those states, then it will go on to 
wherever it goes off to into the cosmos. So then he has a fourth one. All this came about, by the way, this whole document. And there was debate. There were other philosophers at the time that debated him. This all came about because of the death of Socrates. Uh, this was the death of Socrates inspired him uh, to write all this. One more here, guys. All right. The final argument. That's what it's actually titled, the final argument. So one, nothing can become its opposite while still being itself. It either flees away or is destroyed at the approach of its opposite. For example, tallness cannot become shortness while still being tall. Two, this is true not only of opposites, but in a similar way of things that contain opposites. For example, fire and snow are not themselves opposites, but fire always brings hot with it and snow always brings cold with it. So fire will not become cold without ceasing to be fire, nor will snow become hot without ceasing to be snow. Three, the soul always brings life with it. So he's using you know analogies of, of things that people are more familiar with to kind of bring it back to soul and life. So the soul always brings life with it. Four, therefore, soul will never admit the opposite of life, that is death, without ceasing to be soul. Five, but what does not admit death is also indestructible. Six, therefore, the soul is indestructible. So you can, you can see how in his philosophy, uh, you know, Plato uses real world, world concepts and analogies to, uh, it, it almost has mathematical properties to the way he's, he, the way he's doing this. You know, if A equals B, then C, uh, you know, this sort of thing. And uh, it, it's quite interesting. Again, I'll go ahead and, and post those links uh, after class or tomorrow morning uh, down in, in the group so you guys have that. Uh, and then uh, Tom says, but after we are born, we relearn instead of retaining our previous knowledge. Yeah, we have to relearn math again and things like that. But there are some things that um, that I think stay with us as we as we progress. So, you know, learning your ABCs and, you know, how to write and math and all that, we have to learn again. But I think there are different universal concepts that stick with us. Uh, as we move on from life to life so that, um, you know, maybe our, our first time around here on earth, we weren't questioning these types of things that we are questioning now because, you know, everybody is here, you know, watching this tonight or listening to this later because, you know, they're curious about the way the universe works, uh, you know, specifically with this class, how consciousness may work, you know, mysteries of the universe sort of thing. Uh, uh, I, I believe when we were first here on Earth, we didn't have those questions. We were just kind of surviving. But now we've been around the block a few times here. This is not our first go around here on Earth. So now we're starting to question reality. Um, Sarah saying, it seems like uh, he is suggesting that due to laws of balance, consciousness will go back and forth between world of concepts and world of the body. Um, yeah, yeah, kind of like that that um, uh, he does use a lot of those different types of uh, balancing type of equations. Uh, he was using like, fire and snow, tall and small, these sorts of things you know, that need to kind of balance each other out uh, to make his point about you know, what happens to the soul and where it goes and, and these sorts of things in that, you know, there's that, uh, that there's that return. All right. So now that I threw a whole bunch of Plato at you, <laughs> let's kind of move on from there and uh, and bring it back to uh, let's bring it back to Earth. Literally, let's bring it back to Earth. Uh, so we are going to discuss here for a moment Earth consciousness. Can a planet have a mind of its own? Uh, this was kind of interesting. It came back uh, came out back in February, and this was another one that. It's like, you know, no kidding, guys. You know, the idea that the earth may have uh, it, its own consciousness. So astrobiologists suggest the earth itself may be an intelligent entity. So it almost kind of makes you think of as we get into this, you're going to start thinking, isn't, isn't this kind of what Avatar is talking about? Or as I like to refer to Avatar, the uh, 3D uh, CGI version of Fern Gully. 
It, it really was yeah. <laughs> a little more adult in nature, but it had the very similar concepts. Um, so we're going to look at this in intelligence as a planetary scale process. Um, so in this paper, this is out at uh, uh, Cambridge University Press. Uh, in this paper, uh, what they wanted to do is broaden the view of intelligence by taking a planetary view of its appearance and effect uh, to consider the ways in which the appearance of technological intelligence may represent a kind of planetary scale transition. In this way, it might be seen not as something which happens on a planet, but to a planet. So their approach uh, in this research follows a recognition among researchers that the correct scale to understand key aspects of life and evolution is planetary, as opposed to the traditional focus on individual species. So the purpose uh, that they were presenting was to introduce and explore the consequences of the idea of planetary intelligence. They want to, uh, in their research, articulate ways in which the concept may prove useful for three distinct domains, Earth systems and exoplanet studies, uh, anthroposcence and sustainability studies, and the study of technosignatures in the search for extraterrestrial life. And uh, they have a uh, interesting document or an interesting illustration here, I'm sorry, uh, you know, with some uh, text there. And again, I'll link this too, where they kind of show the evolution here of the planet from its origins through modern day times and how uh, the uh, consciousness of the planet would have evolved over that time. So you can take a these ideas of consciousness and not just apply it to you know the human soul but also to a the uh, planet as a whole now personally i believe that um the consciousness of an entire planet is going to be a little different than a human soul but you can how how best do i put it you know the planet has feelings too you know, um, it does, because when we do things to negatively affect uh, the planet or the environment, we see things die off. Um, and when we nurture it, of course, we see things start to live and we start to see an ecosystem uh, start to really thrive. So, um, you know, with, without hugging a tree in front of you, we need to take care of our planet. And I think we would uh, most of us would agree with that. Um so let's see, Sarah's asking, can the summation of life energy on Earth create its own planetary scale tulpa? Um, that would be, that's an interesting question. Well, you know, we've seen, um, well, I mean, people theorize at least that, um, you know, a mass number of people can manifest something to happen, whether that is a, uh, you know, a tulpa, a sentient life form, or a, uh, or an event to happen. And there, there's been interesting research uh, on that sort of thing where you get a mass number of people focusing on a particular event and they're able to uh, to make that happen where they've actually you know, had measurable results uh, from it. And uh, we, could, we could probably do a class or maybe part of a class uh, on that sort of thing. And uh, Jen is uh, throwing down a link and... Um, I'll definitely have to uh, take a look at that. Seven states of consciousness. All right. Uh, I'll definitely check that out uh, later on, my friend. So here, toss the link up there for you guys too. All right. So now talking about different studies, uh, we covered this a uh, little bit last time around. We talked consciousness, um, I think it was like last April. And that was uh, Dr. McDougal. Now, very, very controversial research that uh, that he performed in the early 1900s, where he believed that you could measure the weight of a soul. So it was very limited testing. There were six test subjects uh, that he performed this test on. Again, you know, the the ethics behind it are, uh, are sketchy at best. So basically. Uh, with these six test subjects, he, he found patients uh, that were in a, uh, a care facility. When they looked like they were close to death, their entire bed was placed on an industrial-sized scale 
industrial size scale that was sensitive within two tenths of an ounce or 5.6 grams. So this is that study in which people say, well, the soul is 21 grams. It only happened with one of his test subjects. Let's look at this again. One of the patients lost weight, but then put the weight back on. This is like when they died. Two of the other patients registered a loss of weight at death, but a few minutes later lost even more weight. One of the patients lost three-fourths of an ounce, or 21.3 grams, which is where the number comes from, uh, coinciding with the time of death. Uh, McDougall disregarded the results of the others. There was a, uh, a patient on the grounds uh, where the scales were not finely adjusted, so the scales were off when, when they performed this, and he uh, discounted the other results when the, uh, the patient died while the equipment was still being calibrated. So the research is sketchy at best. Of course, nobody's going to duplicate that test these days because the ethics are just ridiculous. Um, some people have tried to do similar things with, with animals. Uh, there's one that I came across where they performed the test. They, there was a ram that was dying, so they, they measured the ram when it died. Uh, that sort of thing. Uh, performing that on humans, putting their bed on a large scale when they go to die is, I don't think that's going to happen these days. Um, I don't necessarily believe the consciousness has weight anyway. You know, I, I think he was trying to physically prove something because of the whole debate, you know, science versus uh, religion or science versus spirituality. But if the consciousness is just energy or light or transmission from elsewhere where we are, our body's just the receiver, it's probably not going to have, really have any weight anyway. So just wanted to bring that up though, because that, that is kind of a popular controversial uh, experiment that was done quite a, quite a while ago. So since this is a connected universe, the question does become, is our consciousness connected to the rest of the universe? Is that how we might be able to do things like astral project, our consciousness leaving the physical body to travel elsewhere? So uh, if our body is just a receiver for our consciousness our, of our soul, is that how we are able to astral project when we kind of cut off the receptors in our body to that transmission of our consciousness to be able to travel elsewhere, whether we are, you know, walking down the street or just exploring the astral plane. Uh, we've kind of talked before in other, uh, in other classes about, uh, you know, going to visit loved ones, astral projecting, how those loved ones would perceive you in the room if all of a sudden your, your consciousness, your, your energy uh, showed up in the room. Would it show up as a shadow? Would it show up as a shimmer person? That sort of thing. Uh, we've also talked uh, personal resonance, energy, frequency, vibration, that sort of thing. Um, just going to kind of throw this one out there real quick. Um, if we're able to disconnect the receptors of our consciousness to our body so that we can astral project, can we also uh, fine tune that even more? to find ourselves at, at different moments in time. You know, the, going back to the whole idea of you know, stack time theory, if every moment exists past, present, future, and we are able to sometimes experience one of those moments through some sort of time slip. And, you know, I have been postulating for a while that um, those two moments will resonate the same frequency for a brief moment, and we get to see the past while the past has a chance to see the future. That's another one that Andrea and I talked about at Parasycon. We, we, we talked extensively actually about uh, her experiences there at the, the farmhouse in Rhode Island, the, uh, the quote unquote conjuring house, and what uh, her and her mother witnessed as, as a time slip, which is absolutely fascinating. And you know, in that area of the house, I had experiences too, not a time slip, but other ones. But um, you know, if we're able to access that astral plane, can we then 
fine tune our frequency to witness it, to witness other moments in time. I'm just throwing the question out there. I don't specifically have an answer for you because I've I've not quite astral projected yet. I've come real close to OBE, out of body experience. Didn't quite get there. So uh, a couple of comments here. Um, Sarah's asking, is it possible to find the resonance of consciousness? Um, that is a great question. How do we measure that? That's kind of that's kind of the question. You know, what what frequency is that on? You know, our our body, our physical body, has a uh, certain range that that it resonates at that you know, certain range of frequencies, and everybody's a little bit different. That's why you know Tom and I, Tom down there in the uh, chat, uh, when he and I and several others witnessed that shadow smoke that morphed into the apparition of a little girl, we each saw that little girl a little bit differently because we each, you know, have our own frequency that we're resonating at. She did as well. And so we all saw her a little bit differently. But that's the physical body. The consciousness, that is a good question. At what frequency is that at? You know, how would, it's almost like if we were able to figure that out, you know, would we then be able to you know, not only hack ourselves, but this is a scary thought. We would be able to hack other people. And maybe that's why it's such a challenge to do, um, you know, because that would be uh, very disruptive and invasive and, and that sort of thing. So that might be why this is a really challenging area to, um, to figure out why we're having so many issues figuring out this whole, why it's the mystery of consciousness. So, all right. So that is astral projection. A uh, couple other ideas here. So I mentioned uh, simulated universe a little bit here. So what does this mean for a simulated universe? Is our consciousness actually external from the universe and just accessing the universe uh, to participate in this simulation? So we've kind of talked a lot here about uh, the the body being a... Uh, you know, a receptor for the signal of whatever that consciousness, if it's being broadcast. And so we kind of take this back to the idea of, uh, you know, the matrix, that they were broadcasting a signal that their residual self-image was able to, to pick up on. Uh, so if this is some sort of simulation or, you know, uh, projection of a universe that our consciousness is actually elsewhere uh, and we are the receptor, so where is that broadcasting from? Uh, for one, and then like we were just kind of talking about, you know, kind of what is that, uh, what is that, what does that transmission look like? What is that frequency? Um, you know, here, here on earth, we have, you know, radio waves and things like this. We have, um, you know, there's a lot of you know, wires that we have plugged in to pick up on the internet, but, um, you know, we've got our, uh, you know, we've got our cell phones and our, I guess, 5G now, right? We've got these satellites, they're all transmitting data. So if that's all our body is, is some sort of organic biological um, computer to interpret that, uh, then those signals would have to be sent from, from elsewhere. And so that kind of goes back to the idea in the very beginning of the microtubules uh, that, are, that are vibrating, that What's interesting about that is, um, and going back to the neurons, so some of the neurons will fire off while others don't, and they're still not sure why some do and some don't uh, you know, when, it, when it comes to consciousness. They're, they're still kind of scratching their heads about that. Uh, but that could be whatever that signal is that's coming in from outside, that, that data stream, whatever that is, um, picks those different receptors. I mean, just talking from like a, uh, I'm going to have a programming background. So depending on what it is that you're trying to do, uh, you would, you know, you would set up your program to access, uh, you know, different memory, uh, access different variables, different data to make whatever you're trying to do happen. So is that kind of, the idea there as well. Again, I don't think it's 
specifically a computer. That's kind of our current technology pop culture uh, speak that's coming into play. But it's a similar type of concept. And again, I think it's more organic, biological in nature. So then you know, we have the, uh, the idea of the Akashic Records. So the Akashic Records, a compendium of pictorial records or memories of all events, actions, thoughts, and feelings that have occurred since the beginning of time. They're said to be imprinted on Akasha, the astral light. So this is actually a Sanskrit term, uh, Akasha, that was introduced to the language of theosophy uh, through H.P. Blavatsky, uh, Helena Petrova Blavatsky. Uh, on the desk directly behind me, no, you can't see it because it's all the way in, in the back. Um, I actually have her set of books unveiling ISIS. Uh, but she characterized it as a sort of life force. Uh, she also referred to the indestructible tablets of the astrolite, recording both the past and future of human thought and action, although she did not use the term Akashic. We kind of developed the term Akashic over time uh, based on the Akasha or this, uh, this astrolite. So basically it's this, uh, idea that there are records stored of us, uh, of our consciousness, of our soul, uh, through all of this time. So as we do things down in here on earth and even on that other plane of existence where we reside part of our time, that these things are written into those records. So if that's true, um, going back to computer terms, some sort of database is being kept <laughs> on everything uh, that we do. That's kind of what that is. So they, they, uh, when they think of Akashic Records, usually it's like some book um, that they use as a, uh, uh, to represent that, you know, or maybe even a file cabinet or something like that. I think a lot of people like the idea of a, of a book that you pick up a book off a bookshelf. Here's the book of Mike and you see everything that, I've ever done, not just in this life, but all of the others as well. So all of these things that I've done, I'm learning, that sort of thing throughout eternity. And so if um, so, if that's true, and again, if, if our body is just a receptor for this, it makes me wonder then um, to write to those records is that, is that a signal that is sent back from here or is that from wherever the consciousness resides over to those records? Probably it's just a little bit of semantics there. Don't know how much that actually matters, but just trying to figure out how all of this works. You know, again, the mystery of consciousness. Um, so uh, Sarah saying, uh, it would have to be like a, a multi-oral beat as it would have to be complicated since it isn't readily experienced. Mm -hmm. um, and also makes you think of punch cards. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like that. Um, yeah, the old punch cards. Or we also used to use paper tape back in the day. And then uh, Tom clarifying that, uh, yes, we had a similar experience. I saw the transformation. Oh, you didn't see the transformation. But we all saw the little girl a little bit, a little bit differently. Uh, in those cases. So, all right, if you guys have any more questions down there uh, on consciousness, go ahead and throw them down. Um, I, I probably whipped through some of that stuff a little quickly, but I wasn't trying to uh, over, I mean, I've read straight from Plato, so you know. <laughs> um, also, again, if you have questions for the monthly Q&A, be sure to get out there to, uh, uh, well, you can put them in, in the Facebook group for uh, our Connected Universe group on the back end. You can always, of course, go to ConnectedUniversePortal.com. And for those that are listening later, please do go to ConnectedUniversePortal.com. Come join us, 30-day free trial. Uh, check out all the information on the back end. There's a lot of great uh, video footage. Uh, you know, you can, uh, over 12 hours of the Egypt footage. I mean, that's just, that's worth it right there, really. But uh, the American Southwest tour is out there as well. Uh, if you guys like shadow entities, there's all kinds of information out there on shadow entities. All the Ireland stuff is going to be going up on the back end uh, as well. And then, of course, you have a massive archive of all the Connecting Universe classes, a bunch of articles, 
lots of great stuff. All right, everybody, I think we're going to finish up here a couple minutes early. Mystery of Consciousness. Really appreciate you joining me this evening. Uh, again, I will have that monthly Q&A video here out uh, by the end of the week. I think uh, Sarah had thrown a couple questions down in there. If anybody else wants to, please go ahead and do so. Uh, and welcome to June. Wow. I mean, half the half the year is already gone. It's hard to believe. And, uh, you know, the Ireland trip is coming up here in a couple of weeks. I'll see Anne and Jen out there for that. And then we have Egypt next February. So hope some of you are able to jump on the Stargates of Egypt tour as well. All right, everybody. You have a great night. Till next time. If time really exists.